You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to everybody and welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Uh, Rob, good morning. Good morning. How you doing, Gary? Oh, man. I'm just trying to do my best to hang in there over here, man. How about you? Same here. It's been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it has been, been active. And uh, something that I really wanted to talk about was just some specific information for people about the current reality of the market the housing market and real estate market, because I'm finding a lot of people that are getting in touch with me, especially first time buyers, but Mm. really anybody in the housing market right now, they're comparing it a lot to the last housing crisis, thinking that there's going to be a crash and I should wait to buy. The prices are so high. And you know, I've been doing a lot of research and analysis myself because I was just starting out in the business back then. That was kind of my uh, initial uh, mortgage experience was during the last housing boom. So why is this market different than the previous market? I I think the biggest difference is that the previous housing boom and then bust was really fueled by exotic mortgages and different mortgage products. That was what actually facilitated the prices going up because people could get a loan so easily with little to no money down little to no credit, and really no skin in the game. So it made it so there was a very attractive opportunity for people to buy a property and not really care what they were paying because they didn't have any skin in the game. They didn't have any money out there. The current housing market is being fueled by legitimate demand, supply and demand, economics 101, right? So... I think it started with COVID, and then as we left that scenario, people had a real foundation for why they wanted to have a home, Uh, mainly a a home to occupy themselves or just a second home like we talked about in previous episode um, so that they had somewhere else to go because people had a new idea of what home was and how much time they'd be spending there. And there was a lot more value on a property today because people were spending more time in their homes over the last year or so than they did previously. So just from that little synopsis, you can tell it's like completely different night and day. All right. So let's compare, though, a a housing boom to another housing boom. Let's compare the 2021 housing boom to the previous one. Was it like in the early 2000s? Yeah, so I want to spend a little bit of time going over some differences because I made some side-by-side comparisons to show you the differences, which there are so many. We'll just touch on a few here. So the 2007 bubble had no money down loans being, like I said, fueling the fire. So there was 100% financing on almost all loans. Even if you were an investor, you could get a multifamily home with no money down. You just had to pay closing costs. So why wouldn't someone, right? If you're an investor, it's like, how many can I buy? And you don't really care the price. That was then. This market 
when you're buying a home, you're putting a down payment. There's only two loan programs that are seldom used, which are the VA loan and the USDA loan. Most people aren't using those to buy a home. Those are the no money down loans. Other than that, you're needing to put a down payment typically of at least 3%, I'd say 3 to 5% is the norm right now for an owner-occupied home. And if you're buying an investment property, you're talking about 15, 20, 25% down. So long away are the days of putting no money down. And then the other thing is reserves are required now, especially if you're an investor, you can't just buy a house sight unseen without giving up a lot of your financials. You have to have money in the bank. You have to show financial wherewithal um, you know, like we've talked about previously, not only having good credit and income, but also having money in the bank, like a, a, a 401k, reserves, cash value, life insurance, savings accounts, investments. You can't just buy the house without any of that now. So there's a lot more diligence being done on that end. Another thing is the type of loan program. So previous bubble, there was a lot of interest only loans mm -hmm. where it was like a really low payment and it just covered the interest. Those are really not being made much at all anymore. This market is mainly fully amortized loans, which means your payment's a little bit more, but every month the balance goes down. With those loans, the balance never went down, uh -huh. so people got in a really difficult scenario. Adjustable rates we talked about a couple episodes ago, those were, most of the loans made back then were adjustable rate loans. Now, very few. I think last I heard, less than 5% of mortgages now are adjustable rates. Um, so cash buyers right now are really prevalent. And back in the last housing boom, there were very few cash buyers. That just shows you, again, the difference on the supply and demand side. Uh, another difference is appraisals, which we'll get into in another episode in more detail. But back in the last housing boom, mortgage lenders, realtors were allowed to influence appraisers. We were allowed to choose what appraiser we wanted, speak with them, influence them. Let them know, here's what we're thinking the property's worth. You can't do that anymore, okay? There are laws now, the Home Valuation Code of Conduct that went into effect, I believe, in 2011, prohibits the mortgage lender or the realtor from influencing the appraiser. That caused values to keep going up because you know, these appraisers were getting incentivized to keep pushing the home values, and now that's not being done. And last couple of things here are, you know, little to no credit last time. You could, I mean, I had people buying homes with 530 credit scores, horrible credit, tons of collections, tons of issues. They were able to buy a home with little to no money down back then. Now they're not. You need good credit. You need equity. And last but not least was the investor loans with the no money down. Like that was just ridiculous. And almost all those properties went into foreclosure because the minute, you know, things hit the fan, so to speak, and there were issues, investors walked away because if you didn't have any money and no skin in the game, then why would you pay a mortgage on a property? It didn't make sense. Now, like I said, investors need large down payments, good credit, reserves, and all this. So you can start to see all of these differences and why the housing market today and the demand today is being fueled by completely different factors than it was back in the one that happened in the early 2000s. So then as a home buyer today, what would you expect navigating the current housing market? 
So if you're a home buyer today, it's definitely going to be challenging. There's no other word to use for the current market. And the reason is because there's limited inventory, because people value their homes so much now where they live, they're spending more time at home, working from home, et cetera. They're much more reluctant to list their house because it's like, okay, where am I going to live? I have to go somewhere. We're starting to see that loosen up a little bit, but there's still, historically speaking, very limited inventory. So you need to be prepared for that. It's going to probably take you more than one weekend to find a house in this market. I have a lot of buyers that are in the market for several weeks to even months. You know, a few that went under contract recently have been looking for homes since March or April, and only now are they finally getting offers accepted. So be motivated, be persistent, know what you're getting into, and don't just put an offer in on one house. It gets declined, and then you say, oh, this isn't for me. Uh, that's definitely not going to work. Uh, be prepared for multiple offers. Be very competitive. Know your financing scenario. Um, like I said, be prepared to work for several months to find the right home. You really need to be specific on and clear on who you want to work with from a lending standpoint and a realtor, a realtor standpoint or a real estate professional because you need someone to help you navigate this market and negotiate on your behalf, more so on the real estate side. Um, so you need to maybe interview a couple realtors. As a buyer or seller. Oh, yeah, on either end. But, yeah. you know, focusing on the buyer end, you need to make sure you've got someone who's got experience in this market. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing wrong with a new realtor. We've all been there. But they're going to have more trouble negotiating. They don't understand, you know the same negotiation tactics and strategies that somebody sure. who's been doing real estate for 5, 10, 15 years has. It's just nature of any job, right? The more experience you have, the better. And, you know, as a buyer, be decisive. If you find a house you like, you go in, you see it, you love it, you want it, make an offer like right away. Don't, you can't go home and sit around for a week trying to figure out, do I want it or not? By the time you make that decision, the house is gone. So you want to be decisive with making an offer very quickly and don't play games. Uh, I see a lot of buyers now that are new and their realtor doesn't set the right expectations with them and they somehow feel like they're going to lowball an offer or they're going to get the seller to pay all their closing costs right off the grip and that's not going to happen. Those things are usually negotiated if they happen through the process, not up front. You know, you have to put your best foot forward from the beginning. If an inspection issue comes up, an appraisal issue or something else during the process, then we can go back with some, you know, some bullets in the gun, so to speak, to use for negotiation, but not right away. And the last thing is to be very communicative. If you're trying to buy a house, there's a lot of deadlines that we need to meet. You need to communicate with your lender, communicate with your attorney, communicate with your realtor, all of the people involved, home inspectors, et cetera. And, you know, everyone's busy, but respond to an email within a couple of hours, respond to a text within a few hours. Like no one needs you to do it immediately, but don't wait two days to get back to your lender. Don't wait a day or two to get back to your realtor to tell them if you want to put an offer. That type of practice in this market is going to lead to frustration. It's going to lead to issues. And one little technique that I'll tell you about 
um, in this answer is, you know, going back to the thing about limited inventory, I've been seeing a lot of people lately that are doing something called a tenant purchase in order to get around the limited inventory. And what a tenant purchase is where you as a tenant can buy the house you're living in from your landlord. And it takes away the limited inventory because you're living in the house. And a lot of landlords want to sell their homes right now because the values are high. So I've had just in the last few months, probably three or four clients that were out looking at maybe buying a house. And they said, the inventory is limited. I love where I live. I want to buy the house from my landlord. And it's so easy to do. We don't need realtors involved in almost all the cases. So it saves the landlord a lot of money. By owner? Is that what it is? Well, it's, I guess it's by owner because there's already a buyer. Right. The buyer is the tenant. And they'll usually work out a pretty good deal with you because they know you. Um, they can credit back the money from your security deposit and your uh, first and last right. month's rent towards your closing costs. So it makes it very easy to get into a home. And this is a little known strategy. A lot of people don't realize, obviously, a realtor is not going to tell you because they don't make money if they don't represent you. But it's something I've been seeing very prevalent the last few months because, again, if you like where you live, you know the landlord, you can get out of the market, so to speak, and do a private transaction, an off-market transaction, and it moves much quicker, much less negotiation, much less back and forth. And because there's a relationship there, things tend to just be speedy and uh, be a lot more streamlined. So that's a little tip for you on the tenant purchase. Why is your lender, though, why is he or she so important to the negotiation process when buying a home? So the seller of the home that you're buying is counting on the lender to deliver money for closing. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And if the seller sees that you're using like a national lender or a big box lender or a company that has bad reviews, maybe a company that doesn't really have a presence at all, that's going to make them a little bit uneasy because even if you're a good buyer, if your lender doesn't have their act together, if they're not adhering to the guidelines, the deadlines, the communication skills that need to be, then it's going to make the seller antsy. Why are they going to choose your offer over someone else? Because it's so competitive in the old days, if you were the only offer, then it is what it is. They have to kind of take it or leave it. But with almost all of the properties on the market right now getting multiple offers, What's the next layer? If you're getting the house and it's 200000 and someone else is offering 200000 you guys have the same down payment and everything's the same, then what's something else that they can look for to give an advantage? And the lender is the big piece of that puzzle. You need to have your loan processed properly and quickly to meet the deadlines and the lender's going to be able to vouch for you. You know, if you're dealing with someone with experience, they're going to be able to get your documentation, review your credit, do all of the vetting of you that needs to be done. And I got actually two calls yesterday from realtors that said, hey, we've got offers from your buyers on these properties. We're vetting these out. Can you tell us a little about your experience with them? Where are they at in the approval process? And I can now vouch for them to say, I've been working with them for three months. I've got their documents. I've reviewed their credit, their income their assets, and they're good to go. And I can really vouch for them. Whereas a lot of mortgage companies and lenders, because the volume's so high right now, they're just literally slapping a pre-approval on a piece of paper and not vetting it out. And that, again, is going to make the difference between them getting your offer accepted versus somebody else. So that's huge. Uh, and I would say that's really the biggest thing is lo locality and reputation. When you say reputation, are you talking about reviews? 
Are you talking about word of mouth, talking to other friends and family and people who may have used the services there? Are you looking online reviews? So How I do you think, gather that? Because I, I think there's two main things. So when an offer comes in and it's going to a realtor, typically it's going to be a seller. You know, the seller is going to have their realtor that's right. going to review the offers. Sure. They're going to look at what mortgage company is issuing the pre-approval letters on each offer. If they see a mortgage company that's local, maybe they've dealt with them before or heard about them from others, then that's going to be a good thing. A lot of realtors will go and they'll they'll try to vet it. They'll look online. They'll look up the company. And that's where the reviews come in, like you were just mentioning. So I think it's one part word of mouth and reputation. And number two is reviews okay. because they can go up and look, hey, Benchmark Mortgage in Woodbury, Connecticut, what is their reputation? And if they see 135 five-star reviews and then another offer comes in from a lender from Detroit, and they go and put that in, and that lender's not local, and they've only got a two-and-a-half-star reviews, who are they going to choose? The local with the high five-star rating or the out-of-state with a lower rating? Of course. It's a no-brainer. Right? Yeah. You always want to go local. And that's a that's a double positive. Not only are you going to stay local, you're going to go local with a five-star company as well. That That's the key. And it's not always local because I do business in Massachusetts and Florida and other states. I'm not local to there. No, that's but true. Again, you have to be able to compare apples to apples. And if somebody in Florida looks me up, they're going to be able to see my reviews, you know, which I have uh, extensive reviews all over. So I think it's more a matter of a means of them to compare if there's multiple offers to say, how are how's your offer compared to other ones? But if you're the only offer or there's a few different lenders and none of them are local, there you can't really get an advantage there. You see, it's really just about reputation. But when everything else is the same, I agree with you 100%. I think dealing with that local company with that good reputation is going to trump all the other offers that are there, all else being equal. What are some important points that sellers should know before listing their home? So I think there's a uh, misconception right now from home sellers that, you know, they can just like slap their home up on the market and they don't even need a realtor or that sort of thing because the market's so hot. So... I think that, you know, one of the main important points that, that sellers need to know is that, you know, yes, the the market is hot. Almost any agent can sell your home, but you want to use the one like we were just talking about with the best reputation and with the most experience, with a track record of getting top dollar, because just putting your house on the market, getting an offer and selling it is fine. But what if you found out a few months later that your neighbor sold their house? It's very similar to yours for a lot more money than you sold yours for. You might be a little bit pissed off, right? Yeah. And that's going to come down to yeah. having that agent with the right experience that really knows how to navigate the market to price your home properly. Because if they price it too high, you're not going to get offers. Or you're going to get low ball offers. If they price it too low, you're going to leave a lot of money on the table. So there's kind of a sweet spot there where they price it just right, where you get multiple offers and that drives the price up. That's what a good agent's going to be able to do for you. And that's going to get you top dollar, especially when there's a bidding war. So my recommendation on that end for home sellers is interview multiple agents. A lot of home sellers end up using someone that they know. Maybe it's a neighbor, a friend, a family member that has, you know, some experience in real estate. But that's not necessarily the best person to meet your needs as a home seller. So, yes, 
consider using that person, but also consider using other realtors as well. And interview a couple to see who you fit with best. There may be one that you hit it off with great, and there may be another just because they have a good reputation, but you may not communicate well with them oh. or you may not get along with them. Um, expect in this market that if your home is sold or excuse me, if your home is listed at a good price, at a competitive price, you're going to get multiple offers. And that's where that top realtor, that professional can really help guide you through which offer is going to be best. It's not always the highest price. Sure, sure. Sometimes a high price offer with a certain type of loan may not be the best offer because there's a lot of questionable scenarios, maybe with the financing, like we were talking about, why the lender is so important. So, um, you know, having that realtor to help you navigate the offers is important. Another misconception among sellers is that the home has to be like in great condition and People are like, well, I want to redo the kitchen. I want to do the floors. I want to paint before they even list the house. And then next thing you know, they spend months and thousands of dollars to try to get the house ready and they miss out on an opportunity. Your home does not need to be in perfect condition to list it. Sometimes if it's not in perfect condition, you actually can get more interest because people know if all the bells and whistles are there, if all the I's are dotted and T's crossed, you're not really going to have as much negotiating power as going in on one that needs a little bit of work. Does that make that sense? That makes perfect sense. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show along with uh, Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. You can contact uh, Rob Weinberg at 860-413-3938. Once again, 860-413-3938. And uh, check out the website, www.robgw.com. Once again, robgw.com. And by the way, folks, if you've got a question for this uh, for this show, whether it pertains to the uh, discussion going on this morning or maybe previous discussions we've had in the past, uh, you can email Rob simply at Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. And who knows? Maybe we can get your question asked on these airwaves. And if you've got, if you're thinking of that question, I'm sure several others uh, may have thought the same thing. So, Rob, uh, what should sellers be looking for in a buyer in nowadays? So, like we were just saying, with being a seller in this market, you're going to probably be navigating through multiple offers mm -hmm. if your home is priced right and you're working with that good realtor. So, how do you differentiate? Well, number one is going to be a full pre-approval versus a pre-qualification. So, for those that maybe haven't understood or listened for a long time and don't know the difference. A full pre-approval is when we get all your documents, run your credit. We do the whole nine yards to make sure that you're fully vetted out as a good buyer. You're not just telling us you make a certain amount of money or you have a certain amount, but you actually do have that and we're documenting it. So that's number one. If someone doesn't have a full pre-approval and it's just a pre-qual letter, as we call it, then that's the first thing that you're probably going to want to look elsewhere for a good buyer. Um, the next thing is going to be the locality. If there's multiple offers, like we were saying a, a little bit ago, you want to look for the locality of the lender, somebody that is as close as possible to your property because appraisals, inspections, different things that come in that are all based locally, having that local lender can definitely help. A, communica a communicative realtor for that buyer is very important. 
I've seen scenarios where uh, an agent that doesn't really know how to communicate, maybe they're new in the business or they're working part-time, they have another job, they're not going to be able to move at the quick pace, the lightning pace that we need to move in this market. You can vet that out up front by either having your, normally having your realtor as a selling agent, contact that buyer's agent and say, hey, we're considering your offer. Tell me a little more about this or can you, well, that's their can job, you discuss though. this? That's their job. Yeah, but like I said, the realtor on the other side, if you're the buyer, if they're not communicating, even if you have the best offer, they may put that aside and say, hey, this agent hasn't returned an email. They haven't returned a call in, in two days. This isn't going to work. We have to accept the offer. So even in those cases where you have the best offer as a buyer or you're considering a great offer as a seller, you may have to brush that aside if the agent is not communicative. Uh, another thing is flexibility with closing dates. You know, everyone wants to put these very tight deadlines, but because of all these other backlog issues and in, in underwriting and processing in appraisals, inspections, you know, all of this is like a domino effect. So having flexibility with closing dates is very, very important if you're a seller to be looking for in a buyer because delays happen all the time in, in real estate. It's very, very common, whether it be a mortgage contingency that needs to be moved out or a closing date that we need a couple extra days or a week. Having a buyer that's not flexible is going to be uh, an added stress to you as a seller, you know, if they're not able to meet that. Maybe you as a seller need certain dates adhered to from a standpoint of you moving to a new property. So having that flexibility is going to be something that's going to be very important. So like you alluded to a minute ago, having your realtor as a seller vet out the lender is going to be really important. Then what are your projections for the housing market? Let's say over the next, I don't know, 12 to 24 months. So there's a lot of people calling for a housing crash. You know, I hear it every I know, day. I've heard that too, yeah. Yep, and I don't see that at all. I see this really robust oh. demand in the market, limited supply, you know, like we've been talking about for a long time here. And I I will see and project a continual increase in prices. I think prices are going to keep going up. Now, there's a lot of areas in Connecticut that went up double digit, you know, 15, 20, 30 percent in the last year. I don't see that sort of pace continuing. I think that was like a just a one time trigger from pent up demand. But I do think we'll start to see a continual increase, maybe a couple percent a year, which is no more normal for the housing market, you know, three to five percent, maybe even up to 10 percent in some areas. That's sustainable. 30, 40%, that's unsustainable. So I don't think we're going to see that ridiculous amount, but I think we are going to see, you know, that gradual increase. And I, I think also that's going to be fueled by interest rates staying very, very low. You know, everyone's spoiled nowadays with these rates in the twos and the threes. But even if the rates went to 4%, 4.5%, it's still historically phenomenal. I, I think I think they'll go up. All right, I got time for one more question. Um, what about someone sitting on the fence right now, deciding about you know should they buy or maybe wait for the price to come down? I, what I'm getting from you is if anything, the price will only go up. So exactly, I think anyone on the fence right now that's waiting, you missed the boat. If you wanted a really great steal on a property way below market value, your time was probably 2017 to 2019. Okay. 2020, 2021, those type of deals aren't happening. So get in now because you have the opportunity to build equity over the next few years. If you step back and you wait for a crash, I don't feel like you're going to get that. And even if the home values go down, let's say three to 5%, 
What if you have to wait a year or two for that? You could have been building equity the whole time. So I would say get with a lender, get with a realtor, get pre-approved, see what you can do now and try to find that dream home for you and your family. Now's the time. All right. Wow. Boy, oh boy, we covered a lot here. Folks, if you've got questions, I think Rob may have the answer for you. You can uh, check out his website at www.robgw.com. Again, it's robgw.com. I would say start there and then make yourself an appointment. I'm telling you, this will be one of the best calls that you've made for yourself. Write this phone number down, 860-413-3938. I'll repeat that for you. It's 860-413-3938. Maybe you've got a question that you'd like to have answered on the airwaves. Because if you've thought about it, I'm sure others have as well. Uh, so you could be you could be having a question asked for a lot of different people. That's easy to get done. We'll ask it right here on the airwaves. It's simply email this. Mortgagemattersradioshow at gmail.com. Again, mortgagemattersradioshow at gmail.com. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show. Until next week, have a good one, everybody. So long. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.